Welcome to Old Law, New Law, a podcast by the Victorian Law Reform Commission. I'm Nick Gadd. And I'm Gemma Walsh. Did you know that in Victoria last year, near 14,000 people, the vast majority of them women, reported that they had experienced being stalked? And that is only the tip of the iceberg. Most cases of this frightening crime are not reported at all. Today, we are talking about the VLRC's review of stalking laws. Ever since you went away, I've been holding tears back every day. So how long must I wait? We are joined by Tony North, QC, the chairperson of the VLRC, and Marie Barnard and Michelle McDonnell of the Stalking Inquiry. Marie, you're the team leader on this inquiry. Most of us probably have a rough idea of what stalking is, the stereotype of the creepy guy hanging around outside someone's house. But can you define it for us? What different forms does stalking take? Often stalking is committed by an ex-partner as a form of family violence. So it could be a continuation of family violence that was already occurring during the relationship, or it could be a new form of family violence that starts after the relationship ends. But um, it's not always committed within a family relationship. It could be a work colleague, a neighbour, a former friend or a stranger who um, forms an inappropriate attachment to someone. So it really could happen to anybody? It can happen to anybody and that is um, something that concerns people. I think the thing to remember is that if somebody is continually contacting you, for example, they're um, sending you messages or calling you or um, coming to your house or giving you presents. If you've asked them to stop and they haven't stopped and you find it distressing, then that can be stalking and you don't need to put up with it and you can seek help. So it could involve things that in another situation would be legal or even welcome, but in this situation it's not welcome. That's right. It's not always um, something that's um, otherwise illegal, like an assault or a sexual assault or property damage or something like that. It can actually be just repeated contact where you've made it clear that you don't want that contact. That's stalking as well. And it's something that makes you feel worried or alarmed or that your safety is threatened. Is that right? I think it's important to listen to your um, your inner voice. If you feel uncomfortable about something, if it feels creepy or just not right to you, um, listen to yourself and think maybe this is something I need help with to stop. Turning to you, Michelle, you're a senior researcher on this project. How is stalking perceived in the community? Is it widely understood? This is where it gets really interesting, Gemma, because what we've found out is that stalking is actually misunderstood. Um, As part of our research, we uh, have looked at some studies that have taken place and um, what they've documented is what is known as stalking myths. Um, and I can give you an example so that it's it's easier to sort of understand. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes someone is being stalked and um, they might just believe that it's imagining that it's happening and that if they ignore what is happening, it'll go away. But the evidence shows that, you know, stalking won't go away if you ignore it. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I was reading in the consultation paper about that myth, particularly if the person being stalked ignores it, it'll just go away. Whereas actually, if it goes beyond two weeks, it's actually a bigger risk factor for continued stalking, isn't it? 
Yeah, that that's the real problem because we do want to minimise things that don't that seem innocuous, and uh, you know the longer you leave something like that to happen, the evidence suggests that it becomes a bigger risk. So it is about trying to identify it at that early stage, and and having that level of community awareness about stalking being a problem, and it's something that we need to address and to also address earlier. Do we know how common it is? It's it's really difficult to measure uh, just how common it is because one of the things that we know we do know is that stalking is actually underreported. So at the moment we do know that we're not getting the full picture on the extent of stalking and and as I said before, uh, people are coming in very late to to actually reporting if they're reporting at all. And um, I, th- I think in the research we found that something like over 70% of people didn't report stalking until the 100th episode of stalking. So we also have that issue of late reporting. But, I mean, to give you sort of some idea of what we know about the stalking that has been reported – about 17% of women have been stalked once in their lifetime and probably about 6.5% of men have been stalked once in their lifetime. So there's all these um, reasons, you know, why people might not report to police and, and that's something that we're also uh, looking at in this inquiry. Michelle, technology has unfortunately made it easier for people to, to um, commit stalking in lots of different ways, hasn't it, over the over the past few years. So it's not a matter of just somebody physically kind of following a person. And there's this phenomenon of cyber stalking. What it really is, it's a type of stalking um, where someone's basically using available technology. And the thing to remember is that it is actually a crime. And yeah, as you said, the more technology we get, the more apps, the more time we spend online, especially, uh, you know, during lockdowns where we're increasing our screen time and connection through the net, it does give someone that opportunity to stalk you using uh, technology. Yeah, and one of the things that I've um, been grappling with about cyberstalking is that a lot of the devices and apps and things that are used to perpetrate cyberstalking are legal or, or they're free. Like if um, someone repeatedly contacts you through Facebook, um, that's a form of cyberstalking potentially. And some of the tracking devices that are sold as well, they're, they're legal to sell. It's just that if you use them to perpetrate stalking, then that's illegal. So it's a bit of a difficult regulatory area. What we're finding is that in places around the world that in a lockdown situation, uh, people who engage in stalking have fewer alternatives. They don't have much opportunity for the physical stalking and more people are actually uh, now moving to cyber stalking. The thing is, if you're not digitally sort of savvy, you might not even be aware of that it's happening or what you could potentially uh, do to stop it or that it's actually a, a form of abuse. Tony, it was late last year that the Attorney General of Victoria asked the VLRC to review Victorian stalking laws. So if we already have stalking laws, what are the problems with the current situation and does the law need to change? I think the major problem that the inquiry is looking at is that women are not properly protected by the current law. 
The inquiry arose from the killing of Celeste Menno, uh, allegedly by a man who stalked her. Well, that case is currently before the court, so we can't say much about the details of the case. What it means is that in the inquiry, we're looking at the terms of the laws, and the laws in this case really are in two areas. One is a criminal offence of stalking, and the other where stalking comes up is in the personal safety intervention order area, because stalking is one of the grounds on which an intervention order can be obtained. So we're looking at what the laws say, whether the wording of the laws is correct, whether it maybe is a bit too hard to understand. We're looking at how well the law is understood. And, and that's relevant because how the law is understood, and if it can be easily understood, will influence the way police charge people. If it's hard to understand, then police will have difficulty in charging people. The stalking law relies on a concept of a course of conduct, which means, as was referred to earlier, it means that the conduct has to be repeated to be stalking. And whether conduct is repeated might not be all that easy to understand in the practical circumstances of policing. So at the moment in the law, is that very clearly stated that repeated conduct is stalking? Conduct has to be uh, a course of conduct to be stalking. So it's a question of what does that mean? What is a course of conduct? So say there are two instances that are only 10 minutes apart, two text messages. Is that a course of conduct or does it have to be 10 messages over three days or five days? So there is a little bit of ambiguity, which is something we need to explore. And as I say, whether it's clear or not will depend on how the police interpret it and how they will uh, charge offences. It also influences how people understand what is stalking. So very commonly, people don't, in the general public, consider that a criminal offence has been committed if there are some sort of innocent appearing actions like, oh, well, he sent me flowers and then he sent me a text. Well, that was very nice. But in fact, those sorts of innocent activities might be the beginnings of a course of conduct which flowers into a, a, a criminal offence. Is one of the challenges also to decide who poses the most serious risk? Yes, well, this is one of those um, questions that arise in considering how well the law is applied, because as soon as conduct is reported to the police, and then as it goes through the legal system, whether it results in a personal safety intervention order or a criminal charge, the authorities are then in possession of facts which they need to use to assess whether the conduct will proceed, escalate and become, for instance, um, a serious risk of physical harm or even in some cases of homicide. Now, at the moment, in the family violence area, the police have tools to allow them to assess the, the chance that the, the complaint of conduct might end up in physical violence or further physical violence or serious injury. 
And dependent on how they rank the risk will depend on the sort of steps they take to address that risk. No such system exists in relation to stalking that's not in the family violence area. And one of the serious questions we are looking at is whether there should be some method by which police can assess the risk. And indeed, judges and magistrates who are addressing the question of bail prior to a trial might have to similarly look at how to deal with the chance that this conduct might continue and might end up with very serious outcomes. I think one of the other challenges for police especially, but for a lot of organisations, is knowing whether whether or not it is stalking. It can be very difficult to identify it. Especially if, say, someone came to the police and they were complaining about an assault, unless police ask some really detailed questions, they might not um, be aware that that assault forms part of a pattern that is stalking. Um, The person who's complaining might not bring it up. Part of the problem is that um, victims themselves aren't always aware of what stalking is, and that goes back to those stalking myths we were talking about before. There is so much there in terms of responding to family violence. Is that because we know a lot about family violence? There's been lots of research into family violence. And with stalking, we're sort of at the beginning of that trajectory. Yeah, I think that's fair. We've had a Royal Commission into Family Violence in Victoria, which has gone into, into that incredibly difficult problem in a lot of detail. But with non-family violence stalking, we really are, as you say, Gemma, at the beginning of understanding it and how to respond to it. That's why our inquiry is so important. Tony, in Victoria, we have personal safety intervention orders, which are meant to keep people safe from people who harass them. But are they actually an effective protection against stalkers? What are the problems with PSIOs? One of the major tools to deal with stalking conduct is the personal safety intervention order system. And those sorts of intervention orders are available for a vast array of conduct well beyond just stalking. And what that means is that at the moment, the law about intervention orders covers stalking conduct, but also disputes between neighbours, which on any view are just minor, even trivial. And the police need to make a judgment about separating stalking firstly. So that's the problem that uh, um, Marie just referred to about identifying what is stalking conduct but it also means that they need to separate out from stalking conduct other sorts of conduct which would attract an intervention order but which is not of such a serious nature. The VLRC is also looking at whether electronic monitoring tools such as ankle bracelets should be used for people who commit stalking and are considered at risk of reoffending. From what I understand at the moment, electronic monitoring is only used in Victoria for people who have been convicted of a serious sexual or violent offence. Marie, what does your research tell you so far about the use of electronic monitoring tools to reduce reoffending? Electronic monitoring at the moment is not a very common tool that's used in the criminal justice system. It's sometimes used for serious sex offenders and, and some others, but it's not a common device that we use to manage people. Uh, Some states are trialling it for high-risk family violence offenders, but the data on those trials is not yet available. So I guess for our inquiry, we are really trying to do the best research we can, but on on very limited information. What we have heard is that electronic monitoring can have its pros and cons. 
It can be really useful for a small number of high-risk offenders. It can be useful for knowing where someone has been, but it's not infallible in stopping someone from doing something that they shouldn't. So in that sense, it can potentially give a false sense of safety. The other thing to bear in mind with electronic monitoring is that it can make offenders' mental health worse having a, an ankle bracelet because they can't engage in society and they find it quite stigmatising. This can be a problem because if offenders feel that they can't reintegrate into society, it can actually make it more likely that they engage in stalking. Yeah, I was going to say, you don't you don't want the ankle bracelet to actually exacerbate reoffending potential reoffending. Well, that's right, Gemma. And it's it's hard for us with the very limited um, amount of research in this area to know what to recommend, which is why we're seeking feedback through our consultation paper. Um, and just back on electronic monitoring is also one of the issues in terms of resources, like who would monitor the, the people being monitored. And if you had lots of people on the being monitored, would that affect the ability for people to be monitored effectively? Yeah, that's right, Gemma. In order for people to be monitored effectively, someone needs to watch a screen with lots of dots on it to make sure that people are doing the right thing. If you have too many dots, that can become problematic, if I can put it that way. So it is uh, one of those tools that can be very useful in a small number of circumstances. But if it's made more widely available, it can lead to it potentially becoming more unreliable. So, Tony, what are you hoping that this inquiry into stalking will achieve? I'm hoping that what the inquiry will achieve will be to make society safer for women. That will need some recommendations from the Commission about ensuring that the laws capture the conduct which is intended. So that means looking at what the how the law is worded. I hope that it will encourage that large group of people who experience stalking and don't presently report it to do so. I hope also that it will make suggestions to equip the police and courts with ways to identify stalking conduct and assess the risk of escalation in that conduct. And if such tools then become available, I expect that the inquiry will be able to suggest innovative ways to address that escalation by, for instance, electronic monitoring or other uh, new ways of looking at um, preventing the problem. We know that this is a much wider problem than is generally known, and many people may not know what to do if they are being stalked. If someone is being stalked or is experiencing behaviour which they think might be stalking, Marie, what can they do about it? I'd like to say to people that if you feel like you're a victim of stalking or you might be a victim, it is important that you reach out for help. Sometimes it can be hard to know if something's stalking or if someone's, say, just being overly friendly or you just notice that they seem to be wherever you are. What I would say is that if if your hackles go up or if you if you don't feel right, you get that yucky feeling, trust your instincts and reach out for help. Uh, the police are a great source of support. They can investigate the crime of stalking or apply for an intervention order on, on your behalf. The other place that's really helpful to reach out for support is the Victims of Crime Helpline in Victoria. This is a free service that provides advice to, to support victims of crime, including victims of stalking. So their number is 1800 819 817. 
and help is available from 8am to 11pm every day. So that's 1800 819 817. And if you happen to be listening from interstate, go to our website and we have um, helplines available for other states and territories. And what stage are we up to in this inquiry? So we've released a consultation paper and also a survey uh, for victim survivors of stalking. And we're hoping that we'll receive a lot of submissions and survey responses to inform us. We've also been consulting with key stakeholders, including people who've experienced stalking, so that we can receive their input as experts in their own um, experience. And we've had a lot of responses to our survey, as I said already, and we're hoping that that will increase. Um, Michelle, as a researcher on this project, what are some of the themes emerging from those stories that people have written in about? Have they mentioned the impacts of stalking on their lives? I will just read some of the the responses just so that we can get an understanding of the impact that stalking has on people. One person has said in our survey, stalking is a harmful invasion of personal spaces and it leaves you constantly fearful of whether there will be an escalation. And another submitter said, I can't enjoy uh, being in my own home without being constantly monitored. I'm hypervigilant and I have a diagnosis of PTSD and I have a fear of authority. Um, But also on a really positive note, um, people are um, giving us messages of what might be the answers and what has worked for them. So a number of people have been reaching out to tell us what what people can do. Someone has said to us, take stalking seriously, reach out, even if our first attempts are unsuccessful. Another person has uh, said, I really wish that stalking was talked about more on social media and in school so that everyone can be educated about what you need to do and where you can go for help. So this is actually the first inquiry into stalking laws in Australia. So Marie, how can people get involved and have their say? So making a submission is a great way to get involved or contributing to our survey of victim survivors. Uh, Details for both of those are available on our website, which I'll just um, repeat, is www.lawreform.vic.gov.au. That's all we've got time for. You can have your say on stalking by going to our website, the Victorian Law Reform Commission, and check out the stalking page. Submissions close on 17th of August. Join us again next time for more Old Law, New Law. How far will I go?